Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. Tavis Smiley and Edwin Raymond, who is a 15-year veteran of NYPD, the New York Police Department, and the author of the new book, An Inconvenient Cop, My Fight to Change Policing in America. He uh, pulls back the curtain, as it were, in this text of the many flaws woven into NYPD's training data and practices. It turns out in this country, there's always a conversation when it comes to policing, it seems, about NYPD or LAPD. This one is about NYPD, and I'm pleased to welcome uh, Raymond, Edwin Raymond, that is, into the studio. Edwin, good to have you here, brother. How are you today? I'm good, brother. Thanks for having it's me. It's good to see, good to see you, man. Let me start with this before I get into the book. Uh, I was talking to you during the break here about sure. my delight, my extreme delight, uh, at Yusef Salam, one of the Central Park Five, recently being elected uh, to represent Harlem on the New York City Council. Uh, I'm praying for my friend and brother Eric Adams, the mayor of New York right now, going through his own troubles and travails about campaign uh, financing. Um, not going to discuss that in this hour. So just, again, pulling and praying for him. But just great joy at Yusef Salam um, uh, being elected to represent Harlem on the New York City Council. I'm asking you this question, obviously, because you're from New York. You've been a cop in New York for years. They, they railroaded these brothers, uh, NYPD did, and yet uh, that story at least turned out uh, to be okay, and now he's representing Harlem, as I said, on the council. There's a lot there, but just give me your thoughts about you were there. You know how this, you, you know what went down. Yeah. Just your thoughts about what these brothers had to endure, and now he's being on the New York City Council. I mean, uh, Brother Tavis, you, you said it. Um, what they experience is enough to, to knock you out completely. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if their lives completely um, unraveled and... and they didn't make much of their lives. No one can blame them. That was a lot to go through at such a young age. So, you know, for Dr. Salam to pull it together and continue the fight and continue the mission all the way up to City Hall where he can have the power of the pen mm-hmm. as a legislator to sponsor bills, vote on bills and vote on budgets and focus on the things that the people of Harlem, but overall the people of New York City needs. It's it's poetic justice to me. Yeah. It's amazing story. You had nothing to do with this, obviously, but as a member of the department, um, how how does one, especially one who is black as are you, how does one how does one read what what one's department did to the lives of these black men? Yeah, it, it's I mean it's it's embarrassing. Anyone that serves in policing should be embarrassed, you know. Mm-hmm. But also as a member of the New York City Police Department, there are things that happen internally that helps you understand why that that was why that happened, and that's part of what I write about, mm-hmm. and honestly, what my fight has been about. The, the angle of this discussion that I feel has been missing, and that's the pressure that police officers are under. When you look at a lot of the reform measures, uh, the advocacy work and things that people need, that are saying need to be changed, it's still hyper-focused on the officer being an autonomous, an mm-hmm. individual. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so much more coming from the upper echelon that they're, that they're answering to. And, you know, why would a whole bunch of detectives want to railroad teenagers because they're under pressure, you understand mm. that that's an element that's been missing. Under pressure for what? To do what? To to to, to crack the case. Mm-hmm. You understand that? Well, this that case had a lot of uh, political pressure, mm-hmm. uh, media pressure, um, the rate you know the racial elements involved, and you know white woman, um, y- young black kids, etc. But that pressure causes people to bend rules and and break rules and 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 violate people's lives. And that's a more egregious example. But we have to focus on the insidious examples also. Is that pressure coming from the inside or the outside? By inside, that's pretty obvious. By outside, I mean that people, citizens, want these cases solved so that they feel safer. So it's actually actually the inside in terms of the upper echelon Mm -hmm. and the mayor's office. Mm. You understand? That's the outside. Because the, the 
the people don't know that this is what goes on. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they have whatever they perceive is happening is, is what they think. They don't understand where the pressure is coming from. The fact that there's pressure in the first place, where it's coming from, and most importantly, uh, Brother Tavis, what it causes officers to do. Mm-hmm. Prior to being a police officer, I had my own uh, instant, uh, issues with police. And then after joining the police department, I replayed a lot of those issues myself and realized 90, probably 95% of those encounters were... I realized the officers were just trying to meet their quotas, their mm-hmm. enforcement quotas, mm-hmm. which which came, which is a trifecta in the NYPD: arrests, summonses, and stop and frisk. Those are the three numbers. Every twenty-eight day period, every month, every officer has to have a certain amount of those numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's illegal, so they'll always deny it. But that's how it operates. And you know, the former commissioner Bill Bratton is responsible for this monster. When he he only does two years in his first tenure with the NYPD, he then goes to LAPD, drops mm-hmm. it here. He was here, yeah. Right, his his kitchen cabinet, uh, Timoney, um, brings it to Miami. Mm-hmm. Then Giuliani, after nine, after two thousand and one, um, after two thousand and two, when he's no longer mayor, he starts a consulting firm. And now both of these men are spreading this cancer with their consulting firms, while Commissioner Bratton continues, or Chief Bratton continues to get hired as a top cop in cities all around the nation, and. It's funny because seven years as a whistleblower, police police officers from all around the nation have reached out and saying, "Yo, we're having these issues here." And I would I start doing my research, and at some point, if it's not Bratton himself, his consulting firm, it's one of his kitchen cabinet or someone that was reared in that system from the NYPD that's spreading this pressure quotas, broken windows policing, quality of life policing. There's so many different euphemisms for it. There are two things you said I want to go back and let you uh, pick up from me right quick. The first is uh, your acknowledgement, as you talk about in the book, of the issues that you had with NYPD before becoming a member of NYPD. I've asked this question of others, but not of Edwin Raymond. Why would anyone who had run-ins with the cops want to be a cop? You, You know what? It's actually, it's a question that I didn't realize how crazy it was until I saw people's reaction to it. To me, it, it was more of a common sense thing. If you mm-hmm. want to understand something, you have to go to where it's happening. Sure. So that's exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. I made the decision at 18, and I joined the police department at 22 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you shouldn't be surprised then, given your run-ins prior to, of the drama you've seen on the inside. No, but I didn't understand the source of it. Okay. You know, at, at 15, 16, from 15 to 18, um, go, going through those experiences, I pretty much assumed... That's that individual who's mm-hmm. racist, who who who's just sizing me up based on my race, et cetera. There was some there were some cops that used to mistreat my friends and I mm-hmm. that I ran into once I was in uniform. Right. And, you know, we had the conversation. He was like, well, I was just trying to get to the detective squad. And the way to do it is to get these numbers. And I saw how everything went back to the numbers. And I said, wait, why isn't this conversation happening loud enough? Every now and then you'll hear cases about quotas. But I realize people see it more as a nuisance or an annoyance. And every time police officers risk their careers to expose this, uh, Brother Tavis, I wonder where are the activists supporting them? Mm -hmm. Because think about it. Whistleblowers do two very important things. One, we confirm speculation. Mm -hmm. And two, we let you know where to look that you don't even know. Mm -hmm. You have no idea. Right. Because think about anything you've ever done. And then think about what happened. Think about prior to doing something. And then think about the exp- how you feel after. It's never the same. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you think something is, once you actually accomplish it, it's always different. The same thing is, it's the same thing with policing. Um, and just to speak in, speaking of whistleblowers, being that I'm in L.A., right here in California, we've had Captain John Smith, right, who, after George Floyd, during the George Floyd protests, he exposed 
the methods, the use of force, you know, the beanbags and excessive force that was being used and how the uh, Chief Moore just basically wanted to gloss over it. And mm-hmm. he's currently suing uh, today because of that. Then you have Sergeant Timothy, uh, Timothy Colomi, um, also speaking about the SWAT team specifically mm-hmm. and how, you know, they have like, it's like a, 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 a cult, if you will. If you get into a situation where you could have used deadly force and you de-escalate, you're ostracized. They mm-hmm. want you to use the deadly force. Um, I could keep going. Uh, Samantha, it's Officer Samantha uh, F- Fiedler, um, uh, Sean Castile. These are different uh, whistleblowers right here in LAPD, uh, right here in, in LA, in California. Castile is from the Riverside Police Department. Sure. He, he just won his lawsuit. And I'm like, wait, so many officers are risking their careers, lives, livelihoods, exposing quotas and how this is more central to police officers' behavior and yet we're not jumping behind it as a society to support them. When we come forward, I want to, I want to, I want to probe a little deeper um, into your critique of policing by quota. I hear the indictment of it, uh, but I want to probe that a bit more, uh, number one. I want to ask also whether or not police officers have any agency when it comes back to pushing back on this notion of policing by quota or whether or not you just do what you're told to do and you have no agency once you join the force. Uh, We're talking with Edwin Raymond. His book is called An Inconvenient Cop, My Fight to Change Policing in America. You are listening to Tavis Smiley. Seeking the truth. truth. Speaking the truth. truth. This This is the Tavis Smiley Smiley Show. He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Right now. Evan Raymond is our guest. Uh, his book is called An Inconvenient Cop, My Fight to Change Policing in America, Watching My Time, which is getting away from me. Let me ask right quick um, that first question. Um, to tell me more about your critique of and what is to be done about, more importantly, policing by quota. Yeah. So the numbers, it, it just put, it produces bad cops because... Mm-hmm. When you're hyper-focused on the number, you, you it's the person's humanity isn't there. Mm-hmm. And it's systemic racism because the racism is pretty much interwoven in the policy. Mm-hmm. Because we don't police with quotas this way in white neighborhoods. Right. This is something that's usually pretty exclusive for black and brown areas, other minority areas. And again, from my observation in the last 15 years, this is more central to what we see when it goes wrong than anything else. Sandra Bland, for mm-hmm. instance... Um, Obviously, there's there's a controversy as to whether or not she committed suicide or was killed, but she should have never been in that position. Mm-hmm. It was a uh, failure to signal. Philando Castile, broken taillight. Uh, Alton Sterling, uh, Eric Garner. When you think about these, these, uh, and it's not to say police shouldn't enforce, mm-hmm. but when you're enforcing because you're under pressure, discretion, de-escalation, other, other methods of policing are not typically used. Mm-hmm. And the problem is you're you're doing this to appease your boss you're doing this for the upper echelon when things go wrong when everything aligns itself someone loses their life things go wrong no one knows that chief's name that chief goes on to ascend you're the one that's now being tried you're the one who's now a hashtag and it always makes me wonder why do my colleagues blindly go along with this if someone has to publicly say that they're not telling me to do what they're telling me to do Mm. then i'd have to be a fool to do it and what agency then do cops have to the extent they have any agency to push back on this no- this notion of being told that they have to police by quota? So unfortunately, the current whistleblower protections are not enough. Mm-hmm. And this is why I ask us as a society, as the people, we have to create the environment where a cop can blow the whistle and have a soft landing. Because 
the risk that I've personally taken, my life, my livelihood, my career, mm-hmm. if we're waiting for a whole bunch of cops, cops to take that type of risk, it's never going to happen. Sure. But if we eliminate the consequence, you know, the negative consequence to speaking out, we will have a lot more officers speak out because in the seven years since I've been a whistleblower, Brother Tavis, over 2,000 officers have reached out. Some of them became whistleblowers after, but they were influenced by uh, a documentary that I'm featured in, Crime and Punishment, Mm -hmm. um, which is a Hulu documentary, um, but it's available for free on YouTube also. Uh, Some of them read articles, uh, but essentially once they see wow, that guy in New York, first they think that guy in New York is crazy or mm-hmm. those cops in New York are crazy. Mm-hmm. And then something just awakens in them where they then take the same risk. But we can't sit and wait for that. We mm-hmm. much, the justice-minded officers have to be empowered. Yep. I do believe though that courage is contagious and that's why they respond to you because courage is contagious. Our many moments, um, there's a major event here in LA. Uh, if you're in the Southern California area that Edwin Raymond is participating in, we'll talk about that. He already mentioned the documentary on Hulu, Crime and Punishment, but a few more things I want to cover with him before I lose him. At the top of the hour, you're listening to Edwin Raymond, author of the book, An Inconvenient Cop, My Fight to Change Policing in America, right now on Tavis Smile. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Twin. More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. The book is called An Inconvenient Cop, My Fight to Change Policing in America. His author, the author's name is Edwin Raymond. Uh, uh, he spent a lot of years on NYPD, been a whistleblower for seven years, uh, and I'm delighted to have him on this program. Uh, we are heard across the country, of course, but if you are in the Southern California area tomorrow night, uh, it's Tuesday at 7 p.m., he will be at Malik's Books. Uh, that's in the Westfield location. So Malik books, uh, Malik's uh, tomorrow night, 7 p.m. at the Westfield location. He'll be doing a reading, uh, signing, and um, a, a good um, good lecture, I'm certain, tomorrow night. Again, at Malik books, uh, that's at 7 p.m. at the Westfield location if you're in Southern California. Uh, in the three minutes I have left, let me just ask a couple things right quick. Um, you, you mentioned the documentary, Crime and Punishment. Say a word about the documentary, if you will. Yeah, so the documentary, uh, which uh, is on Hulu, it was released in 2018, and mm-hmm. essentially the the producers uh, Steve Mang and Ross Tuttle they they f- essentially followed 12 officers because mm-hmm. we're all in a in a lawsuit, a federal lawsuit together against the quotas and uh, the racist policing in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it showcases it highlights the work that we've been doing behind the scenes. You've never seen po- active officers this transparent about what's going on. It's it's won an Emmy, it's won many awards, uh, but it's it's potent because. Uh, it's a tool that helps that helps people understand. Everything in life is ultimately about numbers. And if policing then, uh, your indictment notwithstanding, is not going to be about the numbers that they can brag about that make people feel safer, then if it's not about policing by quotas, how ought we be policing? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. So remember, this is a tax-funded public good, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, we need metrics to measure, um, to measure uh, efficiency, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be what officers are evaluated on solely. Mm -hmm. There's so many ways that officers can positively influence people's lives. Let's create metrics there. You understand? And also let's, 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 Respect de-escalation. Let's respect discretion because the issue is still being addressed. Because remember, these numbers are 99% for, for innocuous infractions. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not saying someone shoots up a block and we look the other way. You know, we're, we're talking about jumping the turnstile $2.50. We're talking about, you know, public urination. Again, things that need to be addressed, but they're not the crime of the century. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and yet people feel good. I'm talking about people. I think everyday people feel good when they look around and they see less of that. Mm-hmm. They feel safer. Yeah. They feel like the city's cleaner. They feel like they can come out. They can walk their dogs. They can bring their kids out. So there's some, there's some, I think, value, obviously, that cops see in those, in, in, in addressing those kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, again, it's not the objective is not to ignore so-called quality of life offenses. It's just not to come with the sledgehammer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, fair enough. The book is called An Inconvenient Cop, My Fight to Change Policing in America, written by Edwin Raymond, who has spent some good time on NYPD. uh, But uh, whistleblower now for the past seven years. And uh, he and others are. Uh, trying to ring the bell, as it, as it were, uh, ring the alarm to let us know what's happening on the inside that results in the stuff that we see on the outside that none of us are really happy with. Again, if you're in the Southern California area, tomorrow night, Malik Books, 7 p.m. at the Westfield location. Evan Raymond, thank you for your work, for your Absolutely, witness, sir. for your transparency, for your truth, and for this conversation. It's an honor, sir. I'll be back anytime you need. I'll do that. Thank you, sir. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward.